good morning. You can be seated. I want to welcome you to the orchard. Welcome to those of you here in the building and those of you watching from around the state, nationally and internationally now. I welcome you guys here. You know, it was the summer of 2019. When you asked me to be lead pastor, we all started this whole thing. And at that moment, I found out that our, our building debt at that time was $700,000. Now, that's a big mountain to climb. And God spoke to me there in those early months and said he's going to do miraculous things here in this church and call some amazing people to be a part of a miracle. I knew on the other side of that debt, on the other side of that building debt is a, is a whole new set of rules of engagement for a church, for us to, to, to bless and to move and to, and to give in our community. Just a whole different way to respond as a church. And, and last week, I was on sabbatical. My dad was up here preaching. I had no cell phone. When I came back into cell coverage, I got an email that we had a check of $75,000 given just to the, the debt. Given by an orchard family right here. That. And I was, I was blown away by their generosity, and I talked to them, and they were just so joyful at the opportunity to be able to do that. Obviously, there's some nerves that come with this, and she said, we just kept hearing God say, but trust me. And I'm so grateful for them, and I'm, I'm also so grateful for many of you who've heard God say uh, to give generously, and you've you stepped forward. And, and today, a year and a half later, um, through your generous giving and through intentional budgeting and God's amazing power, uh, the, the debt is down over halfway to 340000 which isn't zero. I realize that. I realize that you're like, well, he's really excited about 340000 I am. See, I'm the kind of person, I'm the kind of personality, I'm going to party along the way. Okay, and so God is already doing amazing things, and when we get to the point where he, he re that is released, we're going to have a monumental party in this place. Now, most churches don't talk about money unless it's an emergency or, you know, unless they're kind of apologetically talk about it. But Jesus, we've talked about this in the past, Jesus talked more about money than he did love. And so I'm not afraid to go there, and we have a saying in, in Amy and I's house and here in this house, and that is when it comes to our money, it's all God's anyways. I mean, my time and my treasure, my resources, in the end, I take none of it with me. It's all God's. And I'm so grateful for the many of you who are committed and, and are devoted to, to people who, who don't give begrudgingly, but who have given joyously to see what God's going to move here. We're going to celebrate as God continues to move. And as we begin this sermon series, I wanted to tell you that for some celebration. And as we begin this sermon series, I want to tell you why we're going to be going through the book of John. It's important to know why we're going to be in this sermon series because it's not going to be just like a little short series. We're going to, we're going to look, at, look through it. Through the end of 2020, I began to sense in myself, in the church, and in our culture that our attention was being pulled in many different directions in thousands of different ways based on clickbait and talking heads and headlines and pandemics, pol uh, politics, polarized worldviews and uh, science, society and finances and you name it. Tom Brady, anybody, everything was pulling our attention. I mean, when I was a middle schooler, I had ADHD and they didn't know what it was back then. And, 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 and in fact, my, uh, my typing teacher was in the first, the first service, and I remember sitting there right here in, in Carbondale, and she would make me look at Mount Sopris and type, you know, and, and I just, I, I was always looking at the next thing, you know, the next shiny thing. Everything took my attention, and I feel as, as if a society, we are living in that way. I began to see it in myself through 2020 and through many of my friends in the, as a church that our energy, our focus, our resources is being splintered into 
many different causes and debates. And we have a saying here at the orchard, and that's that we keep the main thing the main thing, and that's Jesus. And over the course of the winter, it became obvious that what we need to do as a church is to return our full attention to the person of Jesus. And here's what I don't want us to do. Because you've heard some Jesus stories, most likely, at some level. I don't want us to, to go back to the old. We don't want to go back to normal. I don't want to move back to an old faith. Get back to our old view of Jesus. I want to go to a new, fresh faith. I want to have a new, fresh view of Jesus through this series. A Jesus who can, who can carry us through no matter what 2021 brings us. A Jesus who's worthy of our devotion. A Jesus who, when we sing the worship songs, we kind of know why we're singing. Have you ever been in a church like, well, I guess we, we sing this song now. But when it comes to when you know uh, the, the glory of Jesus, you are singing to somebody who's worthy to be worshipped. A Jesus who's, who's worthy of our hearts. Return to a, to a new, fresh look of a Jesus who's worthy of our, our resources, our lives, our everything. And so as we begin this series on the book of John, to reestablish that no matter what the news or the culture or society or anyone tells us is the main thing that moment, that we as the orchard and as individuals, we know that Jesus Christ is the main thing. And that we will not be distracted. That we will keep the main thing the main thing. And so orchard, family, both, both here and far, that's what we're going to do. Go to the book of John to, be, to have a fresh look at the main thing. With that said, the book of John, a New Testament book, it's one of the four Gospels. The Gospels, the, the books that reveal the, the life and teachings of Jesus. And we look at who is John. We know he was a disciple of Jesus. He was one of the 12 young men that Jesus chose personally to follow him. And Jesus chose to mentor John. We know a little bit about his background in Matthew 4, 18 through 22. It says this. Jesus saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. You see, his father, Zebedee, was a fisherman, and Jesus, uh, John uh, comes from a fishing background, and, and had Jesus not called him forward, John probably would have lived his days and passed on his trade to his son in, there in the family business. His mother is Salome, and in John 19, it's hinted, and some believe that, that Salome is the sister of Mary, that, that John was the cousin of Jesus. We don't know. Interesting, at one point during John's three years with Jesus, Jesus gives him and his brother a nickname. Jesus calls them the sons of thunder. It's a fiery nickname because John and James, they ask Jesus if they should call down fire on an entire village. Like, hey, Jesus, should we call down, like, like rifle over there? Should we call down fire on rifle? And Jesus is like, no, it's good. It's okay. So he, they're called the sons of thunder. That was one of the nicknames that, that John was given. And through his mentorship and time with Jesus, we see a big shift in who he is, in his character. And he goes from being called the son of thunder to later being known for all time as the apostle of love. In John, he refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. And he was one of the three disciples in Jesus' inner circle who got to witness miracles and revelations the other nine didn't get to see. 
John goes on to write four more books, including the book of Revelation. And there's something in the, in the book of John that's very unique. And I want us to see the uniqueness of this today. There are four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each are beautiful and magnificent in their own way. They reveal Jesus' time here on earth. Three of these Gospels give us more of an earthly perspective and a history of Jesus' travels. His birth, his parables, his ascension. But not John. Not John. John stands uniquely apart from the other Gospels. John doesn't give us so much of this uh, earthly perspective as some of the others do. John gives us a heavenly account, uh, more of a heavenly perspective of Jesus. In fact, did you know that 90% of what is written in the book of John is not in the other Gospels? Did you know that, that the Holy Spirit prompted and led John to, to write things, 90% of it, that's not written and recorded in the other Gospels? Now, there's nothing in John about the birth of Jesus or his childhood or his temptation or his ascension. And here's a wild thought. There's no parables of Jesus in the book of John. And no good Samaritan. No prodigal son. Parables are some of those powerful writings on the planet revealing kingdom of God truth through a, a human story. Uh, but John's book doesn't include these. John often gives us a view of heaven looking down instead of looking up. In all his writings, there, there are three words that, that pop off the page of, as John writes. Three words that, that kind of, John is communicating something that, that gives a clue about his heart and his message. The first word, John uses the word love 80 times. John uses the word truth 45 times. And John uses the word believe 100 times. These three words are at the heart of John. And they reveal the purpose for much of his writing, love, truth, and believe. That, that the reader of John would come to love Jesus by believing the truth of who Jesus is. Or to put it another way for us, Orchard, that, that through this series, through this series, we would come to fall in love with the true identity of Jesus and believe in him more deeply. Whether this is your first day in church or whether you've been in church for decades, that we would see a more truer picture of Jesus and fall in love with him more deeply. John invites us to know the divinity and identity of Jesus more than just the works of Jesus. That, that we would know who Jesus is, not just what he did, not just what he said. Because when you know and understand, listen, when you get a, a greater view and vision of, of who Jesus is, then the words and the actions of Jesus are so much more rich, so much more meaningful. You know, when, when Amy first begged me to date her, uh, we didn't know each other too well. She's back. Oh, I didn't know you were here today. Okay, she's in the back. Let me rephrase that. Uh, when I was smitten with Amy and started dating her, I, I quickly loved everything I knew about her. In fact, um, I accidentally told her that I loved her on our second date. True story. Now, um, it slipped out. And I panicked. And like any good preacher, I just started talking. I, 
I just started talking fast and, and I guess making observations about the room and literally saying anything to the point where she did miss it. And we talked about it later, you know, and she's like, I just thought you were, I don't know, you started talking about things. It's like, yeah, well, here's what happened. <laughs> you know, early on, I loved what I knew about Amy. What she said, how she acted, these were clues as to who she was, her heart, her mind. But over the decade that we have, I've loved her as my bride, I've gotten a deeper understanding of who she is. I've experienced her heart, and, I, and I'll be honest, and she would say the same, that there were things that we would say or do previously that didn't make sense to the other. There were things that she did that she said that didn't make sense to me. But now, knowing her heart deeply, her actions and her words are seen through the intimate knowledge I have of her, the love I have of her, and vice versa. I perceive Amy's actions different today than the day we were first married, and I pledged my life to her. I receive her words differently today than when we were first married, because I know and I love her today in a way I didn't on that wedding day, on a way I couldn't. Bottom line, the deeper your intimacy and experience with somebody, the more clearly you will understand their words and their actions. This is why it's, it's worthy of our time to take a fresh look at Jesus, not just to hear his words, not just to look at his actions, but to, to come to a place where we hopefully love him deeper so that what he says and what he does take on new vivid colors. This is a worthy journey for us, Orchard. And I would encourage you, as this, as this series goes on, and as if you miss a week, that you would catch up on video, on podcasts, however it would be. And here's why it's important. You were placed on this earth to follow Jesus. And more than that, you're called to follow Jesus and throughout your life, become more like him. You're called to follow Jesus and become more like him. It's hard to become like somebody we don't know. And as a church, as we come to know and love Jesus, our prayer is that we would speak and act and become more like him in nature. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be robots, you know, acting like the same. Because we, have, we just have to look at the 12 disciples. The 12 disciples, they all had different personalities, different temperaments, different backgrounds. They were truly unique. But the mission of those disciples, Judas aside, was unified. Let me be clear. The disciples' mission wasn't unified but just because they were present when Jesus did something. The mission of the disciples wasn't unified because they were there and they heard a parable he preached. The mission of the disciples wasn't unified because they were there and saw a miracle he performed or, or got to touch somebody that he healed. They weren't one accord just because of the words they heard, the things they saw. They were unified in mission because they came to know Jesus. They knew who he was. And over the course of the years of hearing and seeing and interacting and experiencing, they know him. His heart, his nature, his thoughts, he called them friends. And when Jesus left the mission in their hands, when Jesus left the mission in their hands, this is important. They didn't go out and just parrot what they heard. They didn't go out and just parrot what they heard him say. They didn't go out and just mimic what they saw him do. 
No, they went out and they lived like they saw him live. They went out and loved like they saw him love. You see, when you become something, you naturally do the things of that nature. When you become something, you naturally do the things of that nature. Their behavior flowed out of their being. And you can only be like someone to the degree that you know them. So here we are in this book. So that we can not just learn what Jesus said or what Jesus did. Not so that we can leave this room and just repeat what he, what he said. But we don't want to go out and just, what would Jesus do, WWJD? We want to go forth and, and be, who would Jesus be? What would he be like at my job? What would Jesus be like in my marriage? Who would Jesus be like as a dad or a mom or a friend? We want to know who Jesus is and become more like him. With that said, let's turn to the first verse of John. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, right from the first verse, we see that because of the Holy Spirit writing through John, John takes a completely different direction than the other three Gospels. Matthew 1 starts with the genealogy of Jesus' family and then Jesus' birth story. Mark 1 hits the ground running with John the Baptist. Luke starts with the, the birth account of Jesus. But John starts from this eternal perspective that if we don't pause here, we'll just blaze through it to get to Jesus and see what he's doing. That's the temptation. This first verse is so packed with divine nature and eternal truth that we need to stop here and pause and see what it means. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. First of all, John refers to the Word three times here, capitalized. And Jesus is the one that John is referring to as the Word. Now in the other three Gospels, from their perspective, they immediately introduce Jesus of Nazareth or his family. But John doesn't start there. He didn't, start with, he didn't start with a baby. No. He, he starts with Jesus, the Word, who was eternal before the creation of time. We learned that the Word was with God, which means that Jesus was coexistent with God. And we learned that, we learned that the Word was God, which means that, that in the mysterious miracle of the Trinity, Jesus was with God and was God. And these three statements are the bedrock of the identity that John is going to write about throughout his book. John presents in one verse a, a heavenly account, a heavenly narrative and perspective that we learn that the word is Jesus. And the Greek word for word is, is logos. And there are volumes written and sermons, hours of sermons on how Jesus is the logos. And you're, you're welcome to go look those. Today we're going to look at something else. Bottom line, God's word, the Bible, is the written embodiment, is the written embodiment of God's nature. And Jesus is the living embodiment of God's nature, the word. Jesus came to the earth as a walking, talking revelation of God's nature. Paul says this in Colossians, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And Jesus in John 14 says, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the revelation. He's the, the word is the embodiment 
of God's nature. The Greek word logos, the Greek philosophers, they use this word to describe an impersonal energy. Catch this. They use the word logos to describe an impersonal energy that was present at creation. Logos represented order and reason. Logos was a non-personal force that had to be there when life started to, to bring structure to the chaos of creation. Now, this belief has not died out. Modern spiritualism has, has moved this impersonal force from the beginning of creation to the end of life. And anytime you hear someone say that, when we die, we are reabsorbed into the energy. Or, or, or we, our life force joins the other life force. No personality, completely impersonal, reabsorption. That's something the, Greek the Greeks could have got behind. Because there had to be something they believed present at creation, impersonal, to bring this order to the chaos. And then led by the Holy Spirit comes John. And he puts pen to paper. He says, let me introduce you to this Logos. Not an impersonal life force, not, a, not an energy, but a divine being that has a nature, has a name, and has a purpose for you personally. Let me introduce you to the word. And just to make sure we catch it, listen, he follows up verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. In verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. He just repeats it twice. He wants to make sure that we're getting at something. John kicks off his gospel with perspective on the identity and the divinity of Jesus, the word. And I find it interesting that he, he, he starts the same way that Genesis does, right? In the beginning. Genesis 1, in the beginning God created. John 1, in the beginning was the word. But these two books aren't referring to the same moment. They're not referring to the same moment. Interesting, John 1 is referring to a time well before Genesis. You see, Genesis 1 refers to our beginning. The beginning of not only our time, but the beginning of time. When the sun and the moon, God created time for us. God's not in time, God is timeless. And so in the beginning of our time, God created. But John states that in the beginning was the word. In the beginning of it all, Jesus already was. He says later, uh, before Abraham was, I am. I have always been. We can barely wrap our heads around a God who, who he was outside of time, who was eternal, who had no beginning, who created time for us. One more tidbit on Logos, the word in the beginning. The next verse, John 1, 3 says, Through him, that's through the word, through the word all things were made. All things were created. Jesus, the word, the Logos, was with God, was God, and through him all things were made. When God created the world in Genesis, how did God do it? When God created the world in Genesis, how did he do it? He spoke. He spoke a word. He spoke a word, and there was creation. God said, let there be light, and a word went forth and created. John 1, 3, through the word, all things were made. Again, why belabor this? Because we are setting the board for the rest of the book of John, because we don't just want to study what he said and did. We want to start with, with who he always has been. John doesn't pitch us a softball. John doesn't start with a fleecy blanket or some song about how the animals didn't stink or low and the, no crying the baby, baby made. You know, John, John starts with this cosmic, epic, 
view of Jesus, the Word, who always was, and at the beginning of our time, was. John starts and starts this and continues for 21 chapters, for 21 chapters telling us that Jesus is God. When Moses asked God his name, in the Old Testament, God replied, I am. And we're going to go through the nine I am statements of Jesus. I am. Jesus talks about himself in the present continuous tense. I am. Because there never was a time when he wasn't. The identity of Jesus is on display here throughout John. And I want our eyes of our hearts to be opened and enlightened to see him differently. That it doesn't start with a baby in a manger. Oh, no. It doesn't even start with the creation of the world. Oh, no. It goes beyond that. And I want to end by focusing on one section of how one word can change the entire identity of Jesus and our eternity. And this is very important. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now I want to briefly, very briefly talk about Jehovah's Witnesses, but only to open up a discussion for us here in this room. Jehovah's Witnesses are a sect that has a Bible, and it has a translation with some differences than ours. But the largest by far is found right here in John 1, verses 1. The largest difference we have, John 1.1 is the place where we split ways theologically. In their New World Translation, John 1.1 reads this way. In the beginning was the Word. We're tracking, right? We're good. And the Word was with God. Got it. We're all together. And the Word was a God. There's, there's only one letter difference between the two faiths. It's, it's just one letter. An entire belief system separated by one letter. But that one letter has impact on the one fact of faith that leads to eternity. That Jesus is God. And John, in his opening sentence, starts there. But I want to take this out of comparing two belief systems and I want to pause and bring it into this room and here within your living rooms and wrestle with John 1.1. We must stop and ask, our, ask ourselves, and I want you to ask yourself in your heart of hearts, um, in my life, is Jesus God? Or is he a God? <laughs> I, my dad was a preacher. I learned pretty quick in church when someone asks you a question in church, you, you answer the way the preacher wants you to answer. You know? Oh, he's God. He's definitely God. <laughs> you know, our lives, our lives resonate, may resonate more that Jesus is a God in our lives. I fear that for many of us, we have other gods. And now before we dismiss this outright, let me ask you a few questions. Is there someone, is there something in your life that receives your devotion above God? Who gets the first fruits of my affection? Who gets the first fruits of my devotion? Who gets the first fruits of my resources and my thoughts and my energy and my time? 
Is God actually truly, is he, if, is he actually just an afterthought in my life once a week, one hour on Sunday? Or now that COVID's hit, I mean, we're so out of the habit of coming to church that I might catch a, catch a bit of it on, on Tuesday until the, the Facebook notifications go off. I mean, I mean how, big of a, how big of a part is Jesus in your life? And by that very question, how big of a part? He's a God. He's a, a God. Before we discount that Jesus is a God in our life, let's just ask the question, if we could have a printout of our schedule, would it reveal he's our God? If we could have a printout of our statements, if we could have a printout of our, our mental investment, if we could have a, a printout of our affections, would they reveal that he is God or that he is a God? Would it show that he is our one and only or would it show that he's, he's one of many? It is a terrifying thing. It's a terrifying thing to have a little A in my heart when it comes to Jesus' identity and divinity. And it's worth our time to pause and see if there's a little A in our faith. The Bible has a name for this. It's called idolatry. The prophet Isaiah in 29 verse 13 says, The Lord says, these people, they say they're mine and their lips, they honor me with their lips, their words, their speech. Oh yeah, yeah, there's one God, he's my God. They honor with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And catch this, their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules. Is my worship nothing more than a man-made rule of one hour on one day on a Sunday? Is that my worship, some man-made thing where I just show up for an hour? Is that my pursuit of God one day a week? Am I seeking God in my own life? Am, am I actually following Jesus? Is he my one and only or is he one of many? I believe that God is asking us, and I believe it's worthy of us to ask ourselves, I believe God is asking us this morning to see if that little A, that little A is in our faith. And God calls us to repent, which means say, I just ask forgiveness, and to adjust, to adjust our lives, to say, you alone are God. And today at the end of the sermon, during communion, I want you to ask that question. And declare to him, I want you to be my one and only. Jesus, you are God, period. Not a God in my life. We have Jesus, the divine word, timeless, limitless, above all things. John's painting this picture for us. Are you seeing it? He's not a baby yet. John's painting this, this powerful God above all things. And then in John 1, verses 14, he says something shocking. The word, who we just learned about, became flesh and made his dwelling among people. Now that's shocking. The one we're referring to is the word. You, you tell me the logos, the mighty one, the prevailing, the preeminent, the preexistent one, the one who is self-existent before there was any such thing as time, the one whom is all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, the, the word through whom all was created, that Jesus, that word, he went forth in creation and through him all things were made. That, that, that same person, came forth into creation, setting aside his cosmic nature and becoming a human?
to Jesus, the Word, fully God, fully human, in the flesh, who once had walked the fiery stones of heaven's throne room, the Word, the Logos, also walked the dusty roads. And the Word spoke, and people's lives were changed. The Logos who stood in the temple of heaven stepped down onto the cobbled temple steps of the earth and spoke. And broken lives were made whole. God in the flesh who had spoken the stars into the sky looked into the weeping woman's eyes and spoke and declared her sins forgiven and declared her destiny changed. The same Logos that was there at the creation of all humanity now walked on human legs and spoke to paralyzed limbs and spoke to them and said, stand and walk, and they did. The divine Logos, clothed in majesty and immortality, laid down his robes of righteousness and donned a crimson robe of blood. The same Logos that would give life to all the earth would someday come and give his life for all on earth and call you to heaven. In John, we find these mysteries and these miracles, but we must read them through the lens of Jesus being the eternal, the powerful, the all-knowing, the word, God himself. We get used to Jesus with skin on. We've seen the movies. We've seen the cartoons. We've seen the picture books. We've seen the flannel graph. We need to remember, yes, he bore human skin, but before that, he was clothed in heavenly majesty before time existed, his face shone like the sun. He was wrapped in glory the galaxy could not contain, and he set it aside. And then he came. You see, that Jesus can't just be a God in your life. That's why we start with where John starts. That word, that logos, that Jesus can't just be a God. He can't just be a way. He's the word. He declares himself in his identity and divinity. He's the son of God. He is God. And if anyone, no matter, listen, no matter your past, no matter your present, no matter your present addictions and chains and whatever would hold you, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, if anyone comes to the word, the powerful, the majestic Jesus and says, I give you my life. He has done all the work to prepare a way to God the Father. Not just because he came as a baby, but because he was Jesus' divine word who came in human flesh. And he set his heavenly throne aside for human sandals, and we're going to follow him on the road through this. John's going to take us on a journey to see just how the divine word speaks, acts and loves and cries and gets emotional and gets beaten and finally... How today, right now, in this moment, he calls you to come to him in faith. He calls you to come to him and declare, you are God. I can't end this sermon without giving you a chance to, to, to come follow this Jesus. I can't end this sermon without giving those of you who've been in church your whole life to recommit to this Jesus. And so we're going to pray a prayer. 
And what Jesus offers you, if you've never stepped out and given God your heart and your life, if you've never stepped out in faith and said, I need you and you are God, if you've never done that, here's his offer. He offers forgiveness in your past, peace in your present, and hope in your future. And not just someday hope in heaven, hope for tomorrow. So we're going to pray a prayer. And if you've been in church your whole life and you know Jesus, let us pray to reaffirm who he is. Let us, let us reposition and review and reformat that, that Jesus, the divine word. We start there. And if you've never prayed to receive Jesus before, the Bible says confess, speak with your mouth, believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died and rose again, and you will be saved. So if you would pray with me, and if you pray with me with all your hearts, repeat after me, Jesus, you are the word. I declare you my God. You came into our world to save me. You lived to reveal God to me. You died on the cross and rose again from the dead. I give you my life. Holy Spirit, take a deep breath. Fill me now. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go into communion, ask and look and seek as you hold the elements, as you hold the, the symbol of the blood of Jesus who gave up heaven to, believe, to bleed for you. As you hold that, don't hold it lightly. It's, don't take it lightly. And sift through your own heart and, and ask him and say, is, is there just one little A in my faith? I don't want that. Let's go into communion and pray and ask God for his wisdom.